The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And a good afternoon or evening to all, depending on where you're listening from today. This is winningponies.com, and we hope to be bringing you another fantastic show. We hope to give you a lot of winners we got expert handicapper Pete Aiello is going to be joining us. Of course, uh, Pete's been getting a lot of pub on winning ponies lately with the uh, It's My Job segment on the Thoroughbred Times. Uh, but before, uh, Pete, and after we wrap up national news, uh, we're going to talk to uh, John Hennigan. Uh, you're going to find him a very interesting individual. Uh, John uh, produces, uh, directs, and videotapes uh, uh, not only movies, but features now for uh, NBC Sports Network. He's been connected with the sport for decades since he was a kid. His dad uh, worked for Naira, and uh, along with his brother, they uh, produced one of my favorite movies of all time, The First Saturday in May. If you've never seen this movie, find a way to get it. It really takes you behind the scenes of the Kentucky Derby. They selected a uh, number of horses to follow up to the Derby, and wouldn't their insight have them select as one of the horses a horse by the name of Barbaro? So you'll get to see that whole Kentucky Derby develop from the time these horses were two all the way through uh, the Derby and up to the Triple Crown. So that's John Hennigan. He'll be on with us in just a little bit. Well, folks, did everybody uh, experience the air out of the balloon last week when we found out that I'll have another who was only one lap from making history to become the 12th Triple Crown winner that he was not going to be in the field for the Belmont Stakes? Uh, I know it was a heartbreaker, uh, but uh, you know, for all the uh, slamming that uh, Doug O'Neill took on the Triple Crown Trail, uh, he definitely had the interest of the horse at heart. Uh, they, it's a soft tissue injury to a front leg. He believes that he may have caught himself uh, in training up into the Belmont. And uh, they decided to, not only to back off him for this year, but to retire him. Because quite frankly, I mean, what uh, what more is there to prove after you win the, uh, the Santa Anita Derby, uh, the Kentucky Derby, and the Preakness Stakes, uh, considering what's at stake for this horse uh, at stud. Most people say he'd have to have uh, about three months of complete rest, and then he would obviously have to train back into shape, uh, not even sure that he would be making the Breeders' Cup races. And what if he did come back a notch below himself and got beat by lesser horses? So uh, at least we did get to see a flash of greatness uh, with I'll Have Another, and I can only wish him the best of luck and an enjoyable stud career. Uh, final plans for that stud career 
uh, have not been made. Well, Union Rags, who many thought was the best two-year-old in the country, did get the job done uh, in, in the Belmont. And I must say, uh, her his connections were very, very uh, classy. Uh, it was uh, really great watching uh, the reaction of, of Mrs. Wyeth and uh, obviously uh, Johnny V, who picked up the mount and just put in a masterful ride. Uh, I must say, uh, the guy that was really took it on the chin and stood up like a man uh, was was Mike Smith, uh, who will uh, forever be questioned as to whether or not he left the rail open to allow Union Rags to slide up in there. But I must say, for a very lightly raced horse, uh, Painter ran one bang-up race himself. Now, uh, in talking about Painter, what we found out uh, after that front-running effort is that somewhere along the line, he actually lost a shoe. Uh, he did get a little nick on his left hind leg, but he came out of the race okay. Uh, he plans on coming back for a New York campaign later this summer, so that'll be great to see some rematches uh, with, with him and uh, Union Rags and um, all the other horses that are located on the, uh, the East Coast. But it was it was Union Rags who got up by a neck, and in this race it was Doolahan who went off the slight favorite by a quarter over Union Rags, and Doolahan ran kind of a mysterious race. Uh, I understand he was going to come from the back, but all of a sudden at one point he dropped way back and was uh, had only one one horse beaten, and uh, getting up for the third spot was. Add a gun, a 20 to 1 shot, Kenny McPeak trying to pull another Sarava in the Belmont. So it was only uh, less than two lengths that uh, separated the top three finishers, uh, Union Rags, Painter, and Antigun in the Belmont Stakes. Uh, Union Rags paid 750, 420, and 340. Painter, 510, and 390. And Adagon, 1060. Uh, the uh, exacta thirty one forty. That's a pretty good exacta for Union Rags and Painter, quite frankly, uh, who were considered obviously the top three favorites along with Doolahan. Uh, not bad at all. If you're lucky enough to have the try, four hundred and ninety six dollars. Well, uh, some very interesting news uh, breaking today from uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, that is that they're going to change the way you get in to the Kentucky Derby. As you know, for many years now, uh, it's been the uh, system of graded stakes races that awarded the 20 starting berths in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, That's going to change. The new system that's going to go in place for the 2013 Derby will put the most weight on the results of the high-profile three-year-old stakes races uh, run in the weeks prior to the Derby while minimizing the relevance of the rich two-year-old races, such as the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and the Million Dollar Delta Downs Jackpot. And it's also going to shrink the number of races in which a horse can improve in its competition to get in. As you know, uh, horses uh, like uh, like Painter and even Bodemeister uh, got off to slow starts. They don't all develop at the same time, and they were able to get their graded money earning right there in the spring. So this is going to be very interesting, and this is going to be open, I believe, to a lot of criticism. Uh, None of the new races under the new system are run at under a mile, and only one of the 36 races in the new eligibility system is run on the turf. Uh, According to uh, Kevin Flannery, the 
head of Churchill Downs. He says it seems kind of common sense. We've seen horses that have never run a mile qualifying for the Derby. We saw it this year, obviously talking about Trinenberg. Uh, under the new system, seven races traditionally held in the six weeks prior to the Derby are going to get the most points, and that would be, of course, uh, the big Derby preps, the Florida Derby, Louisiana Derby, uh, Wood Memorial, the Santa Anita, the Arkansas, and the Bluegrass. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to kick some races out. The most notable, probably the Illinois Derby, uh, that produced, uh, you know, War Emblem, uh, who went on to win uh, the Derby and the Preakness. So this will be very interesting to see how these points line up. And, of course, in racing, everybody has an opinion, and they're already uh, popping out with them. Uh, Steve Asmussen was very adamant uh, that the new rules were overwrought and unnecessary, and he says, I am absolutely opposed to these changes. Uh, Bob Baffert, uh, he feels that uh, the California races in the point system were snubbed a bit, and uh, the Betfair Futurity at Hollywood Park, which he thought was a major prep, and he's got another worry, too, is that when they downgrade certain races, it's going to give the other tracks a reason to cut their purses on them, which he certainly doesn't think was, was fair. Uh, Todd Pletcher, his question was, was the previous system really flawed where it left somebody out? I mean, really, how many have we seen? Uh, this is going to make for very interesting listening and reading over the next couple of days uh, for sure. But I guess some people feel uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And as you know, people... Uh, like uh, Baffert and Dale Romans and Nick Zito and Asmussen, uh, they're very outspoken, and I think we're going to hear a lot from those people uh, in in the days ahead concerning this ruling. Well, uh, something that's been long awaited for in this day of modern science is for somebody finally to go back and give Secretariat his due. We know from day one a lot of people questioned the time of the 19th 73 Preakness stakes, and it looks like the Maryland Commission is going to go back and review it. Uh, I guess this is going to be like the Zabruber films, uh, that uh, they're going to be bringing in forensic film analysts and doing a lot of scientific study on the film uh, since new technology has opened up a lot of avenues that haven't been explored. Uh, the official time maintained by the track is 1.54 and 2 fifths, and uh, the daily racing forums continued to use uh, 153 and two-fifths uh, based on their timing. I know a lot of individuals personally that have gone out of their way to, uh, to clock that race. Anybody that saw the race and, of course, saw all the races that, uh, that Secretariat ran knows that uh, there's a very, very good chance that he set the track record uh, in the Preakness. Obviously, the way he went on to just smash the Belmont Stakes and as you recall, in the Preakness, he made that really early move into the first turn that just kind of left people with their jaws dropping. Well, uh, very interesting. The Jockey Club came out with some uh, new information. Uh, they've devised a plan to alert officials when a high-risk horse is entered. Uh, it, this is coming out of the uh, injury database uh, that they helped uh, develop, and they've been collecting data on millions of races uh, since 2008, and uh, they're feel that this comes up with a subset of horses that may be at high risk of injury. Uh, I guess what they're going to be doing is they will be alerting the uh, racing officials at each track uh, that there could be uh, a high-risk problem. One question is, and that remains to be answered, is will they, the, the trainer be noticed that 
he's been reported to the stewards and, and starting a high-risk horse. Uh, this, again, uh, kind of like the point system, is de- definitely going to raise some questions. Obviously, everybody wants a heads-up when there could be a horse, but on the other hand, who... Uh, who would be held to blame if a high-risk horse was let go to post? Would it be the racing officials? Uh, would it be the owner, the trainer? Uh, what, what, God forbid, should happen if a high-risk horse uh, should get injured or, or, or injure a rider? Uh, we're going to have a lot, a lot of lively conversation uh, in, in, the, in the, uh, the weeks ahead on both of these points. Well, uh, all eyes were at the Belmont, and... Uh, had a solid day of, of stakes races there. Uh, the Easy Goer uh, was won by the Teeth of the Dog, the horse that ran third, the Wood Memorial, tried to come back in the Preakness and finished 15 links behind I'll Have Another, uh, won by three and three-quarter links at the Easy Goer. Running second was Fast Falcon, and third, politically correct. Uh, then it was on to the True North, uh, the tragic True North, we just found out. Uh, fighting for the lead, uh, turning at home, was Giant Ryan, the, the poster boy for, for New York Breds, a horse that's won over 686,000 and only 16 career starts. Uh, sad to say, uh, he did break down. They were hoping to try to save him, and I just saw some news come over the uh, Internet that he is, in fact, been euthanized. Uh, winning the race was Kaita Electronica, a name I've never really gotten down. Second was Justin Phillip, and third was Smiling Tiger. Uh, then it was on to the Just a Game at a flat mile, and winning this one, uh, Mare I love, Tappets Fly. She's finally back on her winning ways. She was uh, really uh, exciting as a, or, a younger horse, and then kind of had a, an off season in 2011, but she's back in her winning ways with Ramon Dominguez up, won by two and a quarter over the highly regarded winter memories who went away, almost even money in there, and up for third, another horse that you couldn't leave out of this race, and that was Hungry Island. And then back to seven furlongs. You know, they say you can measure a horse's best distance with a yardstick, and I got a feeling that seven furlongs may just be it for a horse by the name of Trinenberg, who eventually finished 17th of 20 in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Trinenberg uh, went from flag fall to that's all over currency swap and Il Vitano. Uh, then there was the uh, Woodford Reserve Manhattan. Uh, great, great finish. An exciting race. Up by a nose. Ramon Dominguez having a great day. Desert Blanc got the best of Paw Paw Bodie, who finished a length and a half ahead of Boisterous. And uh, just so you don't think that uh, the only track that was open last week was Belmont, uh, Acclamation, last year's champion older horse, made his long-awaited return, as well as 49-year-old Pat Valenzuela, and took the Charlie Whittingham Memorial out at Betfair Hollywood Park. So Acclamation is back, and it'll be interesting to watch him in the older ranks. Well, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here on Winning Ponies, and when we come back, we're going to talk to one of my favorite filmmakers in the world, John Hennigan. Internet 
Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time noon pacific on the voice america sports channel if you want to talk about the east coast sports scene particularly from the southeast make sure you tune in to the jeff owen show every tuesday yeah we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there but host jeff owens and co-host tasha humphrey know the inside and out of the georgia college sports world and they were born there raised there and still live the scene we'll talk about every sport imaginable Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast Time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me is John Hannigan. I'm going to paint a little picture of him, but I want him to kind of tell his story in racing. It's a great one, and you can see where he gets his experience. Uh, he's worked everywhere, including the newsroom at CNN, working on uh, Burden of Proof with uh, Greta Van Susteren, and uh, the set of the Hollywood film uh, 28 Days with Sandra Bullock, lucky guy John. And my favorite uh, project of his uh, to date, it was uh, first Saturday in, in May, which uh, chronicle the journey of a diverse cast of uh, hard-working trainers as they tried to get uh, the run for the roses in their resume. 97-minute film that just takes you behind the scenes like no other I have ever seen. And I, and, and I was so blessed to, to meet Jonathan and his brother uh, out at the symposium at Tucson where they gave us a preview of the film. And it was just fantastic. I mean, for those of you that work in the industry, you won't see a film more true to life. Well, it is a documentary, but the way that these guys were able to work their way into the lives of their subjects and get the trust of their subjects where day after day, they didn't even know where they were there. And you get such an insider's view. Uh, you know, the first Saturday in May, if you've got a chance to get it through Amazon or, or steal it from your cousin, get it and watch it, whatever you do. But with all that say, being said, there, there's new projects uh, that they're in the works. And with me right now is John Hannigan. John, how you doing? John, I'm great. Thanks for having me, my friend. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, I go back to the the, the day I, I met you and your brother, and uh, I hit, hit the bar and toppled a few. And ever since then, I've admired uh, the, the the work that you've done. But like I said, there's no way that you could get these behind the scenes uh, looks and images and people to talk to you in a very real way unless you had a great feel for the game. Tell people how you got in, into the game through your dad's participation. Yeah, so my, uh, actually it goes back to my grandfather. My grandfather was the uh, secretary of the American Trainers Association in Baltimore, so he was very involved in Maryland racing um, a long time ago, and one of his dear friends was a trainer named Henry Clark, who had a great horse named Linkage. And um, you know, my dad, you know, then kind of grew up in the game. He used to, you know, kind of like what we did when we were in our youth. He he operated the elevators at Pimlico, and you know, had jobs at Timonium, etc. And then he got his first job actually um, after college from Alfred Vanderbilt. Got him a job at Naira. Wow. So, yeah, which is really cool. And, you know, we kind of, you know, we grew up around the racetrack. We just saw Alfred Vanderbilt, you know, he was just sitting there like a regular guy. We didn't know that he was this, you know, captain of industry and icon. He would be sitting right next to, like, you know, Willie Bananas, you know, just to tout <laughs> in New York, you know. So, um, anyway, then, you know, my so my brother and I grew up around uh, Belmont Aqueduct in Saratoga and, you know, we were old enough to start working at the ice cream stands and then, you know, moved on to be white caps, which were the guys that wiped off the seats, you know, like ushers. My brother Bob was a white cap at Saratoga. Oh, yeah, white cap. Yeah, and you would, you know, at least at Belmont and Aqueduct, you would wear like one of those white policeman type hats with a green polyester blazer. I mean, it was hideous, but. It was hideous, um, but you could stick a small program in there and play the day. <laughs> absolutely. No, you put the program in the hat, and you just take it off, and you look at it. Exactly. In the top of your hat. Yeah, good one. Um, and then, um, you know, we moved on to become um, security guards, and we, you know, were lucky enough. They always put kind of college guys there because they'd be walking them back and forth, but at uh, Saratoga, we were jockey escorts, so when you walk through the crowd there, the jockeys, you know, walk through the crowd, and you just have, you know, a, you know, a security guard with them. So we had that cool job, and um, actually, one of the guys that we did it with, who's still a friend, is Matt Musiker, who is Castellano's agent. So he's, you know, we uh, we're st- he's moved up the chain pretty, you know, pretty well there, but. Um, I also walked, you know, we also walked hots for Leroy Jolly in the 80s, which oh was really God. cool. Oh, my what, what, what a stable he had in the 80s. Yeah, you know, I mean, we just, you know, we we did it during the summer because we were in high school. and uh, But, you know, I remember distinctly, like, Gulch was a two-year-old in the barn and Manila and Leo Castelli and Mogambo. And, you know, there were guys, you know, Mick Jagger would you know, show up every once in a while because Jerry Hall had some horses with him and, you know, Peter Brandt had all those horses and, you know, it was just a really, you know, looking back on it, it was really amazing experience. Um, so, yeah, that's, in a nutshell, that's kind of how we, you know, came up around the racetrack in New York. Well, it, it, it's it's quite a resume. Now, uh, tell us now the, the partnership as the Hennigan brothers as, as filmmakers. Well, you know, we... We kind of got away from the racetrack as we as we went. Unfortunately, when we went away to college, and you know, you kind of get into your own life, and we're living all over the place, and starting careers and other 
you know, we, we both kind of got into TV and film, and, you know, we were really into that, and, you know, kind of worked our way up the ladder just doing, you know, PA jobs and, you know, that that type of thing. And, you know, as we kind of climbed the ladder and we then we just kind of settled in sports television in New York, and, you know, that's kind of the time, like, I don't want to say like eight years ago, nine years ago, and just people just became a number and you just start getting laid off just for being in a department, nothing to do with your, really, if you were, you know, doing a good job or not. So, you know, we started to think there. It's like, listen, if we want to do something on our own, we should really start thinking about doing it now. And so we came up with the idea of doing hoop dreams at the racetrack, you know, that great documentary in the 90s, Hoop Dreams. Yes. Because we said everybody knows the the Derby and, you know, we took the lowest hanging fruit of the Derby because everybody knows the Derby. <laughs> a, a grandmother in Pierre, what is it, North Dakota or South Dakota? Pierre. Hey, I'm not a, uh, you know. Sorry, Pierre in one of the Dakotas, sorry. Um, we'll say Fargo, North Dakota. They know the Derby, but they don't know how horses get there or anything about it. So we researched it, you know, one year with, um, you know, a, a Fleet Alex. We're like, all right, let's follow a Fleet Alex who's a good horse in saratoga in august and the hopeful and we just kind of followed him the whole year and picked another couple of horses rockport harbor which was services horse and horse named galloping grocer was don scatino a new york guy and we just kind of followed it and you know fleet alex had a great story and we just saw a lot there and we just you know said we're just doing this so a lot of great stories had already happened with smarty jones and funny side and fleet alex and you know we really thought that the well had run dry in terms of stories, but we said, you know, we're doing this. So in 05, I got laid off, and we just started following for the year, made a sales tape, raised a little bit of money, and just kept following and following. And, you know, we were lucky enough to, you know, get mixed up with some great people and personalities, and, you know, Barbaro was in the mix too. So that, you know, really was, uh, I guess you can say fortuitous, not that, you know, what happened to him, but just in terms of, you know, bringing recognition to our project. Absolutely, and the fact that uh, you, you were in the stall as Michael Matz was teaching his son how to, to not be afraid to pet a horse on the shoulder, and as it turned out that that, uh, that dark horse in the back of the stall was Barbaro. Yeah, that was, I mean, we really just were going around, and I mean, we we, we shot a lot more horses than were, than were uh in the final cut. Well, you'd have to. Yeah, but, and yeah, because we said if we were, were able to do that, we'd just be gambling. Forget making movies and everything. I mean, we got five horses in the Derby, so that was, you know, really just kind of hard work and luck. And But, you know, we uh, I think we picked some good guys because, you know, since our movie, we like to say, like, Kieran McLaughlin and Dale and Michael Matz, the last six years of all... Uh, you know, going on to great things, and we we like to say it was because of our movie. Of course, of course. <laughs> we but were there with you, them. The every, thing is that, that every, people have to understand is just how uh, personable this movie is, and how these guys opened their lives to you and became trusting to you. And I think they understood that you had such a good feel for the track; they didn't have to worry about you getting kicked by a horse, and they could just go about their job. Right, and we said from the beginning, we said, "Listen, we've seen a lot. The horse, the racetrack represented." you know, poorly in every fashion from, you know, movies that we've seen to other documentaries, like, you know, that are just taking shots at the industry. said, we wanted to show the racetrack that we knew, and they all got it. And if we didn't know somebody at the time, we knew somebody that knew them and, you know, just said, 
you know, we're not out to, we, we just wanted to show the path here and get people into this, you know, so that was, that was great, but, you know, people haven't seen it, they should see it, but, you know, we're, we're moving to the future here, and that, that's opened some doors for us, and, you know, one of the, you know, something that we're really proud of that, you know, once again, race luck kind of, uh, knocked it, make knocked it down. Was, uh, yeah, we had, we just did the, um, we were working for the America's Best Racing website, which is the new jockey club initiative to get new fans into racing. They have this, you know, uh, great new website called uh, America's Best Racing. It's actually followhorseracing.com, and we were shooting uh, content for them at the Derby and the Preakness, and, you know, knowing, you know, uh, we knew Doug and Dennis from our movie. Doug and Dennis were... A featured storyline, Doug and Dennis O'Neill in the first Saturday in May. And what happened was, when we screened our movie, we had seven storylines at the time. And you know, Doug and Dennis had this amazing storyline where, you know, uh, they kind of, you know, they grew up just like fans of the sport in Detroit, and you know, worked their way. You know, Doug worked at barns, and Dennis was picking out horses, and they ended up, you know. Doug doing pretty well for himself, and Merv Griffin was a client. And at the time, too, Dennis was diagnosed with cancer. So we're following them, and they have this horse of a lifetime named Stevie Wonderboy, who right. you know became basically the, the the West Coast rival of Brother Derek. So we had these two great storylines, and when we showed the movie to people, they just weren't getting it. There was just too much going on. So we had to make you know a really tough decision and marginalize their story. Now imagine we have to marginalize a story where you know the guys come from where they came from. Right. A man is battling cancer and saying that the only thing keeping him going are his two three-year-olds. His three-year-old named Stevie Wonderboy and his son named Shane. And he trains for Merv Griffin. And like we had to get rid of that one because the other one was Dan Hendricks, who had just recently, you know. He got in the accident was is you know uh, confined to a wheelchair. So that yeah, was a, that was it was really, very touching and it was so cool to show what what a, what a great guy he is. You don't even know there's a wheelchair under him. Yeah, and you know so anyway, I digress. But we you know we got to know Doug and Dennis back then, and um, so when we were shooting at the Derby and the Preakness, uh, you know we got a bunch of stuff at the Derby with them. We were covering all the horses, which you, which you really have to do and so then at the preakness we're just like you know let's we're still covering you know the Bodie Meisters and the went the day wells but you know we're focusing a little bit more on Av and other just in case you know there was a triple crown at large so we you know we got all this great footage um so after the preakness uh you know the jockey club and ourselves said you know we have enough here to to do something, you know, a little show for NBC. And so we, you know, they pitched it to them and they said yes. So we had like 10 days to put together a show, you know, that ended up being called I'll Have Another Charging Towards History. And just the road there and, you know, Mario Gutierrez and the stuff leading up to it. And we stopped shooting like that Wednesday before the Belmont, finished editing, you know, we were up like the last 72 hours straight getting it done drive it up to nbc in connecticut on thursday afternoon to air thursday night it airs thursday night and we're you know lighting a victory cigar that we just 
finished it and it's going on air and we saw it on Thursday night and everything was great. We're just like, this is cool. You know, this horse has a chance to win the triple crown and the show's going to run the next couple of days. And then, of course, we get an email the next morning that there's a press conference at one o'clock at the barn and we knew immediately what was going on. So NBC pulled it for Friday and Saturday. So not as many people got to see that as we wanted, but they should because it's still really good. You know, we're still really proud of it and, you know, we're, we're hoping to, you know, change the ending and do a little follow-up and do something with it, you know, with the help of the Jockey Club. But it is online right now. If, you, if people want to go see it at uh, the America's Best Racing website, which, as I said, it's followhorseracing.com, and they can watch the whole, you know, it's a, you know, without commercials, it's, what, 22 and a half minutes. So it's, it's on there, and it's, if you didn't get a chance to see it, you should, because, once again, it's, you know, what we're, we feel we're really good at is, you know, just kind of the behind the scenes and, and making you feel about horse racing. Uh, I've only got about a, a minute left, John, but before we go, I got to see a bit of a trailer uh, back in, in Arizona about two years ago uh, when you were working on the Larry Jones project. Yes, uh, yes. Is, is that going to continue to develop? Yes. So here's the thing. We started a documentary on Larry Jones when he was going to retire, so we said, you can't let this guy just ride off into the sunset. So we followed him for a year, and then he didn't retire. So we said, geez, how are we going to finish this thing? So we've been following Larry still for like another three years, and we feel like we have a good ending, and we're going to start editing this summer. So hopefully we can get something by the Breeders' Cup, or at the very least early 2013, a cool uh, documentary on, on Larry Jones, who we think is a really uh, unique and interesting character in, in horse racing. Well, one of the most special people in the world, and I believe that uh, he won his first race at Little Old River Downs. Well, John Hennigan, it has been a pleasure. I really hope this isn't the last time that our listeners at Winning Ponies uh, get to uh, get to talk to you about your life and about your upcoming projects. Again, followhorseracing.com. You've got to take a look at the work these guys do. It's sensational. Uh, they, they shoot from the heart. John, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you, John. Yeah, we'll talk soon, buddy. I look forward to it. Okay, I also look forward to handicapping with my pal. We call him the mellow fellow, Pete Iello, man that uh, is uh, currently uh, the star of It's My Job on the Thoroughbred Times. If you haven't been there, you got to go, and you'll get a good feel for my man Pete. So we're going to take a little break on Winning Ponies, and we'll be back and start capping the races. <laughs> Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Fantasy sports is where the action really is. Over 40 million people play fantasy sports, but rarely do they get to quiz the experts. Fantasy Insights is the name and the game. Tune in every week as Dish Adams and his guests clue you in on the fantasy football game, what's happening on and off the field, and how it will affect your fantasy team. These experts aren't just beat writers assigned to fantasy football. They live and breathe the game. Tune in to Fantasy Insights with Dish Adams every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Sports. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life, from Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start, it's how you finish. 
What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back here, uh, I'll be talking with uh, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Pete Aiello. And if you want to know about Pete Aiello, we've mentioned this over the last couple of weeks, go to thoroughbredtimes.com and go to the new video section they have called It's My Job, and you'll spend uh, 12 minutes in the life of Pete Aiello, and you'll really get get a feel for, for the person and, and the character and uh, the guy who loves racing uh, that he is. Uh, Pete also uh, is the track announcer at Hialeah Park and a track called River Downs. Um, he's, a, he's a very, very good handicapper of just about every breed in the world. As a matter of fact, his specialty may not even be thoroughbreds. But tonight, we're going to ask him to handicap uh, at Churchill Downs, Colonial Downs, Belmont Park, and Hollywood Park. With me right now, ladies and gentlemen, the mellow fellow Pete Aiello. Pete, how you doing? I'm doing just great. It's beautiful weather here in the Queen City, so can't complain at all. You know, Pete, uh, you know, I got to mention that I, I met uh, uh, John Hennigan and, and his brother out at the University of Arizona uh, program, the annual symposium. Uh, that, that's that's where I first met you, and that's that's one thing that didn't uh, make make the video. And it's my job is, is your background uh, through U of A. So I, I'm going to ask you to uh, expo- uh, expound on that a little bit. Well, you know, I mean, you, you, you got a guy like me who's grown up in, in a urban community with no racetrack experience, and I didn't really have any ins in the business. So uh, the University of Arizona has a racetrack industry program that not only does it prepare you from the industry end and teach you all about the business, but it's uh, very good, uh, as you just alluded to, in the networking aspect of it. I know that you and I were both in the room when we saw the first Saturday in May, uh, the Hennigan's production, and... Uh, little did we know that we would be working together a lot sooner than later, as it turned out. So, <laughs> really, yeah, I, I, I recall uh, going up and uh, meeting uh, Vince Seister and Luke Kreipbosch, and uh, th- those were some great days back then. Absolutely, I mean, and, and it's funny. It, the more time passes, the more you, you realize, you know, different facets of the business, or even just folks that are now coming out of the program. It's it's almost like the uh, Keeneland sale. You don't know who's going to pop up and. You have some horses that sell for really high prices that turn out to be duds, and then you got some diamonds in the rough. So I'd like to put myself, maybe not in the I'll have another category, but certainly I was not an expensive purchase, as you were. No, but it, it, it is uh, interesting how many people, uh, like Bob Baffert, uh, you know, that, that came through that program. Bob Baffert and Todd Pletcher are the two on the horseman side that come to mind right away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, well, Pete, uh, since then, uh, I've got to admit, you, I'm hearing from a lot of people. I'm getting a lot of positive feedback uh, from your uh, your feature on the Thoroughbred Times. Uh, it, it's my job. Uh, 
kind of share with us that that one day where uh, you certainly had a shadow all day long. Well, absolutely. I actually met the guys at a local restaurant for breakfast and um, talked about the business for a little while. Tried to I tried to get a handle on where what angle they were coming from and um, you know what they were kind of. I'm looking to accomplish with the, with the production. I mean, as as you well know, I was not going to change myself and my personality and the way I do things anyway. But that's what scared me. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it was still it was still good to you know just get the just get what frame of reference they're coming from and understand that you know that they they are not uh, the elitist of the world and they appreciate the game as a game and as an industry and not just uh, the upper echelon, which was comforting from there. And that kind of just quelled any. Uh, any reservations I had, and I felt like I could be myself, and it would be positively portrayed, and that's exactly how it ended up working out. Absolutely, and again, I telling people to go there to to really meet you. Well, Pete, since I've since I've met you, I've, I've watched the handicap. I know you had a good day last week with a nice pick four, uh, and so let's let's get into uh, something that's kind of unique uh, to the sport in this day and age, and that's night racing. And we'll start out handicapping with the two races that people will get to hang out and watch under the lights: uh, the Stephen Foster handicap at Churchill Downs and the uh, Colonial Turf Cup at Colonial Downs. We'll start with the Stephen Foster, uh, a race that is just so talent laden. I don't know where to start. And that's you know you, it really is. It's a very very deep field. It's uh, it's a field that because it's so deep from a handicapping angle, I would argue that uh, you really even if you gave the horse respect and you liked the horse that ended up going off the favorite, you, you really can't bet him if you're a better in, in this race just because uh, there's so many horses that are offer are going to offer good wagering value. I mean you have. Between um, you know, looking at the field, every horse in the field has buyered in the hundreds in this in the last six months. So, um, I mean, it's it's really a competitive event, and it's it's something that from a betting a- a- angle is definitely something you want to look at. John, when I looked at the race, I don't know about you, but I saw I saw a ton of early speed in it, and I saw that the uh, the race that they ran on Derby Day, the Ali Sheba, the Grade Two over at Churchill, I think that's going to play a major role. At least if I'm right, it will play a major role. Uh, the number two horse, Fort Larn, I don't think he's going to take very much reaction at all, and I think that he's definitely a horse on the upswing. Um, one of the cool things about these good races, I don't know if uh, if you uh, have taken the time to, to, to appreciate this on a regular basis, is you know we talk a lot about in handicapping about about form cycles, uh, you know horses going into form, horses going out of form, and not to say that the buyer speed figures are are bible by any stretch of the imagination, but when you get to the good races, the buyer speed figures can certainly paint the wave of the form cycle. Um, and in the case of number two, Fort Lauren, and the uh, in the, uh, the Stephen Foster, you can look at a horse that last November was buying in the 70s and then even down into the 40s and the 86 figures. Then uh, really blossomed when he went down to Oldsmar, as horses tend to do at Tampa Bay Downs. Won the skip away at Gulfstream across town and continued to just stay good when finishing a good second behind successful Dan, if you had to make me make the morning line, which, as you uh, can tell, I do do from time to time, I'd have to say that the Charlie LaPresti entry is going to go favored. Not sure which is the stronger half, to be completely honest. Wise Dan or successful Dan, they're both such good horses. But How rare is it that you would have two full brothers competing at this level? Well, you know, and it's amazing because they're both so talented. You know, you got a horse like Successful Dan who hasn't lost since October of 2010, riding a five-race win streak. And then Wise Dan, who's won his last three races, including a buyer of 117 in the Ben Ali. 
So I, I stand corrected. They are not full brothers. They're half brothers. They're, they're both out of the wolf power mayor, uh, Lisa Danielle. Uh, but nonetheless, to, to be from the same family and bred by this same guy uh, who owns them with Chuck Lepresti training, it makes it kind of interesting. But I guess the 800-pound gorilla we're overlooking in our conversation is Alternation, who might be one of the best older horses in training. And that's exactly where I was going next, Alternation. He's done everything they've asked of him, Johnny. He really... Uh had a great winter down at Hot Springs at Oaklawn. And for the folks that thought, uh, you know, you have the East Coast bias and the West Coast bias, but uh, the, the middle, mid, Midwest West Circuit kind of gets overlooked. And uh, the Pimlico Special, no exception. Here's a horse that was coming off three wins in a row and two to include two graded stakes victories. And you got four to one on him in the Pimlico Special, a race that he won by the hair of his chinny chin chin, another half a step, and Nairo's got him. And he timed it very good. And, you know, I don't know. For me, I always like a guy that fits a horse. And, you know, you see that they tried to get Ramon Dominguez to uh, get some run out of alternation last year when he won the Peter Pan. But Louis Quinones has done just about as good as you can do on a horse like this. And he's won his last four races. And the key question or thing about alternation is that he's versatile. He doesn't have to make the lead. He can if you want him to. But he can track off the speed just as well as anything. So, Well, listen, uh, I've only got about a couple minutes to do the Colonial Downs. If I'm putting a gun to your head, give me your top three. Uh, well, the Colonial race is interesting because you got guys... Oh, pulling... before I go to Colonial, give me your top three in the uh, Stephen Foster. Well, I'm going to go with Fort Lund on top, alternation for second, and just for the key of the trifectas, we'll go with the Dan entry for third. All right, that's what I wanted to hear. Okay, Colonial, I know you would prefer them going over the hurdles in this race because that's one of your strong spots in handicapping, uh, but uh, we're going to be going night racing. Uh, this will be Saturday evening, a mile and three-sixteenths. Uh, and, uh, this is an interesting uh, but kind of mixed bag of horses going in the gate. Well, it is, and it's a, a lot of the horses, to me, they look like they're trying to prove themselves. They're, they're horses that very well could end up being atop uh, their respective divisions by the end of the season, but at least at this point, in time they're not there yet um it's a cut below it's the horses that did not run into woodford and horses that want to wheel back out of the dixie uh there's a couple of horses in here like air support and uh but you know the horse to me that uh even though he's not proven himself he's certainly proven that he does have some big time talent this turbo compressor bingo uh, it's it's interesting to, to to figure out and i don't really know the answer is he a better horse on the turf or is he a better horse on the main track uh, his most recent event, though, you have to draw a line through that. I implore you, even if you're betting against Turbo Compressor, please do not bet against him because of his last race. Well, also, when I, when I look at this race, it appears that the majority of runners are a slight stalkers and or late runners, and he seems to be pretty much the lone speed. I agree completely, and that's, and that's certainly in stark contrast to his last race, John, where Little Mike ran an amazing race in the Turf Classic, but they went quick. Get Stormy was dueled to the ground and backed up to last. Turbo Compressor was part of that pace, so he's not going to have the same pace problems as he did the last time, and I agree with you. I think he's going to control the pace, and uh, interesting to note, even though they have such a long stretch off the Colonial Downs Turf Course, the outer turf anyway, it's been playing very, very kind to speed horses. They've put, uh, actually put some bits of rubber in the turf course, so I don't know if you can call it a synthetic surface per se, but it's kind of a hybrid between synthetic and turf this year. All right, before we go to break, give me your top three in the eighth running of the Colonial Turf Cup for a half a million bucks. Well, I'll go with the defending champion for second, Rahi Strada, out of the two-post. Sheldon Russell is the leading rider, and he won on this horse last year. For third, the horse that I think is going to be a, that horse that we'll hear from later on in the year, the one-horse 40 to Marmy for a very potent turf trainer, Roger Atfield. 
All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll, then we're going to go from coast to coast, from Belmont Park with the Hill Prince to Hollywood Park and the Vanity Handicap. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to a show about making a comeback and what really goes on behind the scenes with your favorite athletes and beyond. Listen for The Comeback Radio Show with Tony Farmer. A lot of people believe what they read on the Internet, hear and see in the media, and on the news. We're going to give our guests the chance to tell the real story without the extra hype. It's not just sports, although that will be a focal point of the program. We'll also look at the world of celebrities, music, modeling, and more. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And with Pete Aiello, who is an outstanding handicapper. He's a lines maker. He's a track announcer. And I think between the fifth and sixth races, he sells the ice cream cones down at Lovey's Love Shack. <laughs> if I could make it up and down the stairs, I would actually do that. <laughs> well, okay, Pete. Uh, we got to throw a, a couple uh, very interesting and uh uh, different races to you. One's a marathon, more or less, out at Hollywood Park, and the other one's kind of a mile on the turf, exclusive to three-year-olds, which, you know, this time of year, we see trainers going, okay, I nominated for the Triple Crown, and I took a shot at some of the preps, and, uh, you know, he's not a mile and a quarter grass on the dirt. You know, maybe I'm going to change my mind and see uh, what my three-year-old can do on the grass. So we're going to be going on the turf here in the hill prints. And a lot of these horses uh, lightly raced, and so that leaves a lot of question marks. And, you know, a lot of them don't have a whole lot of turf, you know, experience at this age. Absolutely. And it's interesting you talk about the horses with triple crown aspirations. I really can't speak to what Christophe Clement had in mind with the one summer front, but certainly it looked like he was trying to figure out how good his colt was. It's a horse that didn't get beat in his two-year-old season, including two wins and overnight stakes company on the grass, one at Aqueduct and one at Gulfstream. Then he came off the shelf to run second in the Lexington and was thrown to the Wolves in the Peter Pan. So I don't know, John. I think they're trying to regroup with this one here today. Well, uh you know, again, I think uh, people, you might get a little bit of odds on summer front because people are going to look at that Peter Pan and go, geez, you know, and uh, 
ended up running 18 lengths behind, but this horse's race may have been over at the start as I go to the trouble line. It was stumbled and bumped at the start in a 10-horse field, got shuffled back, and I just wonder if uh, Ramon Dominguez kind of covered up on him because he's right back in the saddle and wants to ride him again. Absolutely, and it's certainly, uh, you know, the Lexington was definitely a race that people were scratching their heads with all squared away, winning to the tune of something like 60 to 1, but... Um, Summerfront looks like you'll get a good tracking spot in here, too. Flat Mile seems to hit him right between the eyes. Uh, horse in here that uh, was another one with Triple Crown aspirations uh, and who has uh, definitely shown that he can handle the grass is how great, uh, by a guy you can't help but respect, uh, Graham Motion, uh, coming off the American turf, was only beaten uh, three and a half lengths by Silver Max, who I believe came back and won a stakes race last week or just the other night. Actually, last night at the Oliver Stakes at uh, Indiana Downs, Silvermax was an easy winner at one to nine. Uh, Howie Great impressed me, John, when he won the Palm Beach at uh, Gulfstream Park on Tampa Bay Derby weekend. Uh, he beat Delahan that afternoon and did it on the square. So came back to defeat, uh, get defeated by Delahan, but that was on a different surface. Um, seems like he's another horse that he, he's kind of trying to get his form back. I think he's better on or near the lead, and I think that you know his last two races he just got way too far back. Yeah, you know, and I'm just, as I look at this field again, because they are three and there's, you know, just modest chances at big races, I'm having a hard time coming up with an upsetter, but... Uh, I got one for you. Well, let me give you mine. I, I kind of like uh, Barkley Tag's horse in here, Marango. Obviously, he knew something about this son of Dynaformer, and he has never run on anything but the turf, even though they did go ahead and nominate him the Triple Crown. So th- that's my sleeper. Who's yours? The seven horse, Shakespeare Shalia. This is a horse that's never been beat on the Belmont turf. Uh, won the Grade 3 Pilgrim. Uh, we're talking about a horse from the Dudeness Barn, Dudeness Shamagal, sends this horse out. I, I can just really make a good case for the horse. He, he won the Pilgrim on the Belmont Turf. They took a shot in the Juvenile Turf Breeders' Cup Day. He got beat six lengths. Gave him a couple months off, tried to get to see just see how good he was. Tried him on the dirt in the count fleet. He lost to Alpha, who at the time was one of the uh, more fancied horses in the Derby Chase. Gave him a couple more months off, ran him in the Murphy last time at Pimlico, and he lacked clear running and uh, get beat two lengths. So certainly if you're going to give me you know, 10, 20, 30 to 1 on this horse, I'll take this horse over a lot of the other ones that will take more action. All right, so are we, are we looking at summer front over Howie Great with those two underneath? You got it. That's what we're looking at. Superfecta, dial it up. I like it. We're splitting it. Okay, you got it. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's move out to... Uh, Hollywood, and take a look at the vanity. Uh, another another horse that really uh, has some uh, fillies and mares in here that that have a resume. Absolutely, it's uh, you got Grade One winners galore. With uh, the, the headliners really being the uh, two, it can include me out the three Zazu and the eight Ella Fitz. They've been dominating the filly division out that way, and they renew their rivalry uh, on uh, Vanity Day at Hollywood. Absolutely, I mean it's just uh, you know. Really tough to separate, but when you when you do go back and, and look at some of these horses, you keep seeing the name "Include Me Out" in bold letters in front of the other fillies. Well, you know, she she won last time at six to five, uh, defeating Ella Fitz, who had her uh, had her trip that afternoon. Ella Fitz, she likes to race on her near the front, uh, so a mile of the eighth is kind of a pushing it, in my view, on Ella Fitz. Uh, I centered in on the two and the three. Include me out. Like you say, she has the, uh, the decision over a couple of these. But Zazu, to me, seems to have some upside to her. 
She won the Hollywood Oaks over the racetrack at Hollywood Park, so you know she can handle it. And last time out, she was making her first start since the Lady's Secret in October. Uh, took some money, but didn't have any pace to chase. Flattened out, made a middle move, and I think John Sadler was just trying to tighten the screws down. Looks like all systems go for her to me today. Well, uh, I, I see that Super Mario has picked up a mount on a long shot. Atlantic Swing, we don't know anything about, shipping in from Ireland. It's funny you bring that horse up. I actually used her for third behind Include Me Out in Zazu. I just kind of was intrigued by the fact that here's a filly that she's by Stormy Atlantic, so you would figure grass, at least I would, and she's coming in from Ireland off of just a maiden win, and Ben Cecil, he's no fool, so this horse must really be showing him something in the morning to uh, take a shot in the grade one off of a big layoff, first start in this country. It's not a conventional move, so there's got to be something to it, in my opinion. Well, nonetheless, uh, it looks like you know, we've got some, some solid cap and the triple crown's over, uh, so I, I think we're not going to see too much from the three-year-old group uh, for a while, some of, some of the top horses. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch this season, uh, but a lot of very good horses stayed in training this year, and I'm, I'm looking forward to a good season of handicapping this summer. As am I, and uh, before we go, I just want to touch base on one horse that's also in over the weekend at Belmont. It's a filly of Christophe Clement's name, Federation. She's going to be running on Saturday right before the Hill Prince, and uh, if, you, if, you, if you have any stock in anything that I've said over the last 20 minutes, I'm here to tell you this is a very talented filly. She did not get her trip last time, and she's going to be tough on Saturday. All right, the inside scoop from Pete Aiello. Pete, thanks a million for being on the show. I look forward to uh, going out and having a beer with you someday. Sounds like a plan. We should do it sooner than later. <laughs> we will, as you know. All right. Well, I want to thank John Hennigan and Pete Aiello. I want to thank all the listeners and everybody that uses the Winning Ponies products uh, to get their winners. You know, they've got uh, a lot of new elements to the site. Make sure you go up if you're not a member all already. Well, from high atop the grandstand, overlooking the turf course in the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.